Hello and welcome to the Longball Premier League Preview Show. I'm John Townsend. I'm Declan DeBarb. I'm Victor Ono. And today we're going to be talking about Arsenal, how they're in shambles, Chelsea are going on a spending spree, and Pep is watching geese. Looks like we're already in mid-season form, so let's start the show. And starting off with the first game this week, it's going to be Everton at Leeds, and I'm pretty excited for this one. It's a pretty big matchup between Rafa and Bielsa, so it should be a really fun game. But Declan, I'm really curious about James Rodriguez, first of all, because he didn't play last week, and there's some rumors that he may not be fitting into this Rafa Benitez squad. Can you see him playing a massive role this weekend? I wouldn't be surprised if James Rodriguez is gone by the end of the year. There's a lot of rumors that he will miss this week's game. He obviously missed last week's game, one of five Everton players. But he just doesn't seem to have a role in this squad. This is a team that plays with a lot of width, plays very wide and likes to whip in a lot of crosses. And that's just not James's game. You saw how well Damari Gray did in that first game against Southampton where, where the Toffees ran out 3-1 victors. I just don't see James long-term being a fit here. I think that he played really well last season and... Ancelotti said, when we don't have James, we have to play a simpler game. But I think that Rafa is trying to play that simpler game, trying to find other players who can chip in. And DeMar Gray looks like a quality buy. We, You and I raved about it in the preview show we did for Everton about that signing, what a good signing it was. But I don't see James being a long-term fit here. His wages are something that we have to keep in mind. He is another one of those number 10s like Philippe Coutinho who got paid uh, a couple of years ago, but you know, the game has moved on and Hamas doesn't play enough defense. He doesn't contribute at many other ends of the pitch. And that's really what Rafa is looking for and to provide that with. Yeah. And especially because he has massive wages and because they're in a bit of financial struggle, uh, it, we could, we could very well see Everton move on from Hamas, which is sad to say, because he's one of the best players on the squad and when fits in the Prem, but with this Rafa's team that's more focused on crosses, could that cause Leeds some issues? Yeah, I think, first of all, Leeds versus Everton, that's going to be, it's very hard to kind of predict the way the game is going to go. You would expect Everton to be the more dominant team. And yeah, set pieces is a weakness for Leeds United and are really the biggest squad in the Premier League, probably the smallest squad in the league. And a league this physical, this big, set pieces are actually key. And Everton happens to be one of the best teams at set pieces in the Premier League. So obviously already off the bat, that's going to be an issue for Leeds. But I think Leeds have enough quality, aside from the set piece deficiency, to be able to beat an Everton team on their day. Now, what version of Everton are we going to get? Is it the same Everton we saw on the first day with the fans? They're away now, so it's, it's could be different. Even though the first game went as people would expect, I still think there's probably going to be some games where people are going to question more Rafa. But it's nothing. I think they're, they're in a rebuilding phase. Would they be, they're a better team on the field with Hammers Rodriguez on. That's, that's a fact. He's an exceptional player. But would he be better off away from the team? I think yes, for the simple reason of just the wage bill. That's that's astronomical, taking that much wages and not sure if you're going to be part of a system or or play. So, yeah, he would, there would be a better team without him on the wage books. But quality-wise, we can't deny how much quality he brings to the team, even up to the strength of set pieces. He's also an excellent dead ball specialist as well, too. So it could always still be in their favor, if at all, he 
that's the question if he can transfer or more or less change his game to kind of fit whatever it's in or what Rafa wants. Because at the end of the day, if he wants to be a mercenary player, he can easily as well just get out of the team and then find a team that fits his style of play. But we've, we've seen players in the past that taking it upon themselves to kind of adapt and change their game plan just to fit a manager or just to like be able to force their way into the team. I think if his attitude changes, maybe he could be in the team as well and surprise a lot of people and play in the Rafa system. Because mm-hmm. I think there will be a better team with him. Yeah, and I think that the point you bring up about dead balls and set pieces is really important. Bielsa's team give up countless goals, particularly on corners. And when you have a player like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, that's going to cause you problems. And and Richarlison's still still a very good dead ball specialist himself. So I think that that will be the really key aspect to watch. Rafa is a guy who will look to squeeze every ounce out. So I'd watch the set pieces this weekend. I think that... Leads are going to be a little bit hairy from corners when you have a player like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but also a Michael Keane um, who can pop up and get a couple of goals. So dead balls will be the turning point, I think, for for this weekend's game for sure. Yeah. And especially last week with Everton, how they were down at the end of the first half and ended up coming back in the second half and Leeds, I'm pretty sure last weekend is a weekend to forget for them after mm-hmm. getting smashed 5-1 by, by United. How do they bounce back? How does this defense go? You know what? Even though we left five pass uh, last week, we're better than this. How how do they come back this weekend? I think a huge part of that is the fact that they're playing at Elon Road. They had a couple of games with some fans in, but really these these lead supporters haven't had a chance to celebrate their team being back in in the Premier League after 16 years uh, of not being there. So I think the fans will be a massive component in this. I imagine Elon Road will be absolutely buzzing to see their team. But I think it just comes down to the opposition you're playing against. Everton are a good squad, but they don't have the players that Manchester United have. Leeds didn't match up against United last season well either. I think they dropped both games to, to the Red Devils. So, I think they drew one at, you know, at Elon Road and they lost the first one. Yeah, something like that. They didn't. They they didn't beat United last season. Yeah, they got smashed six two in one of them. Yeah. So, and with the Bielsa team, it's all about self belief. Bielsa will, to borrow a line from Ted Lasso, tell these tell the players to go out and be goldfish. They're the happiest animals because they have a ten second memory. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the walloping will spend too much time on the, on this lead squad's mind, but not a great way to start your season for sure. Definitely not. And moving on to the team that did cause the walloping. Uh, next game we're going to be covering is United at Southampton. And this Sunday, the Sunday list of games is very tasty to look at because you got, well, you got United at Southampton, you got Spurs at Wolves, you got Chelsea at Arsenal. We'll be talking about those two games uh, later on. But starting off with United Southampton, can the Southampton defense put any resistance against a seemingly unstoppable United attack? Um. Yeah, I think I think um, United definitely have improved from last season. The first game of the season, the five-one, people shouldn't read too much into the game because first of all, Leeds play exactly the way you shouldn't play against Manchester United. They give, they go man marking, and 
with a man like Bruno who's going to ghost and no, no midfield runners pressing Paul Pogba. He has a few days to pick any kind of pass that he wants. And we saw, saw his quality in having four assists. Even Fred popped up with a goal. I was going to say even Fred scored so you know it was a bad day at the office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't they, they played well to, to get the five goals, but Leeds didn't make their job easier for them. And I think Southampton, first of all, we know they're a very coached team. They have a very good manager in Ralph. He's an excellent manager. He will get them pressing, get them pressing high. They play the 4-4-2 with the two strikers. We know Che Adams is going to give either of the centre-back partnerships, which we don't know yet if Varane is going to come in straight into the team. That could also play a part as well. I do think he's going to make United play play better, probably play more on the front foot like with, a higher, with a higher line, which in the end is going to benefit more creativity so i do think united might eventually have too much for southampton but i wouldn't be surprised if the game was to lag out long and just go for a draw victor i very much disagree with you i'm worried about this southampton squad i think that they have a lot of the problems that lead that leads had particularly now that they've lost yannick vestergaard uh who was their best defender by by a country mile yeah this Southampton squad on their on their off day is one of the most disorganized teams in the Premier League. And, I mean, we saw that last season getting absolutely hammered nine nothing against Manchester United. United. Yeah, um, and Leicester City this season before. Yeah, so yeah. when things go awry for Southampton, they don't seem to stay to stay on the tracks. Losing a player like Vestergaard will be a huge loss. And they, again, play that high-tempo pressing style. And Hassan Hoodle has shown that he's going to play his style regardless. Mm-hmm. I would worry because, you know, the one team that United played this season, obviously, very small sample size, was a high-pressing, high-octane high team. Mm-hmm. If United can get past that Southampton press and work the ball centrally and into the dangerous areas, I think that it could be another bad day for, for a team that, the, that, that United are playing. 100%. I agree. And we also need to put into consideration that United are playing away. This is Southampton at home. The home fans, I'd never want to underestimate their influence on the game. It, it could well, well as be another eighth nil thumping by United. But the fact that Southampton are playing in front of their fans for the first game of the season, I think you're going to have a different desire. And if United aren't careful on their game, it could well be that sort of game easily. And with Vestergaard out of the lineup, Declan, we might have to go to the church of, of Mohamed Salisu again because <laughs> I, I still can't wait to see him settled in the squad. I, I think that it's a little bit too early to be expecting a dominant performance from him against United with nothing else really around him. But once he gets going, once he in the squad week in, week out, I, I could see him really being a help for the Southampton defense as the season goes on. Is that who you see the natural successor to Vestergaard being? If he finds his footwork, yes, because his massive weak spot is his ball progression, is his passing ability. If he finds that, I can't see a weakness in his game. That's the only thing he has. He's in in basketball. You have this term called a ninety a ninety ten guy, where you love ninety percent of what they do, but that ten percent is just so, so massive, good. and yeah. you just can't get past it. It's like Russell Westbrook is a ninety ten guy, where ninety percent of the things he does is amazing, but just the ten percent is drives you insane. I wouldn't say Salisu drives me insane. But he's definitely a 90-10 guy where if he gets that 
he, like I, I do I do stand by. I think he's the best center back they've had since Van Dyke, just from a pure potential standpoint. Wow. The one problem is though that this Hassan Hoodle side requires ball playing defenders, so he definitely needs to find that aspect of his game for sure. He definitely does. But looking at their attack, because that's definitely what's out the one of the bright sparks of Southampton. Adam Armstrong kind of came out of nowhere for me. Like he was a championship striker last year. I think he had like thirty goal involvements and in, in, like all competitions last last year, or some insane stat like that. But scored a wonderful goal on his debut against uh, against Everton last week. Can you see this Armstrong Jay Adams partnership working? I hope so. Adam Armstrong is another is another example of a player coming up from the championship and proving that he has the muster at, at the Premier League level. Like man who played for Blackburn Rovers last season was sensational. He really had a breakout campaign and, you know, Southampton putting all their eggs in one basket, but it worked out on the first day. He did get his first Premier League goal and it was a tidy little finish, uh, smart play, put it exactly where you want to when you're in one-on-one with the goalkeeper. I think that him and Shea Adams could develop a partnership that really causes trouble, but he's a player that is, you can't really compare directly to Danny Ings, but still finds his way in this Hassan Hoodle setup. He's a guy that presses a lot and a guy that read defenses really well, gets the last step and uses his pace to burn them and get in behind. Well, he definitely had a great performance on his, on his debut, filling in that Danny Ring, uh, Danny Ings role, but could we see another debut this week from Manchester United with potentially Varane starting, uh, starting into the starting lineup or more likely Sancho getting his first start with United? Yeah, I think things about time. I think the fans want it. I think there's no reason why Oli shouldn't go with his strongest team, which I think includes both signings of Sancho and Varane. Would that seem unfair dropping Lindelof just like that? I mean, it depends on how Oli wants to see it. If he's if he's playing favoritism for play, for players, he's gonna go with Lindelof and Maguire. But if he wants to play the strongest starting lineup available to him. I think Varane features in that team. And I do think with Varane and Sancho in, in the lineup for United, um, I, I think there's little or nothing Southampton can do to stop the three points from going to Old Trafford. Especially how United scored five without Rashford, without Cavani, without uh, without Sancho for the majority of the game, without Varane, without a ton of the star players. The fact that they were that dominant last weekend. Yeah. I mean, as a United fan, I'm on cloud nine right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and also a guy who we somehow have not mentioned yet for United, Paul Pogba. Paul. Put in a world-class display last weekend. Got having four assists as well as Bruno Fernandes in the midfield. This midfield duo can they keep it going? I can. I think. I think the problem with United is who plays beside Pogba. That's always been the issue. The rumors are that United are looking at Chimeni, who I think is a perfect profile for the kind of player that you need. You need more or less like a defensive mid. Can Mitomini or Fred do the, do, do the job over the season to the level that United wants to get to? There's question marks, but I do think that's the key problem because we know the quality of Bruno Fernandes and the quality of Pogba. They're excellent players. One of the best in their positions in the world so we know about their quality the thing is just providing the right balance and i think it works in the first game playing pogba off the left and playing both um mctominay and fred in the middle but i think over time when the rashfords and the sanchos come into the team when those positions actually are taken by the people that are actually supp- supposed to play there the need for having a solid player beside paul pogba and i'm behind bruno to more or less 
cover up and do more so the defensive work is completely needed. And if or not United sign a midfielder, that could be a key area and it could prove to be why they the next step forward after getting Sancho and Varane. I agree, Victor. I think that this United team is lopsided. They're very attack heavy, especially in that midfield and a defensive midfielder needs to come in to balance out this squad. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about it, John, you and I in the preview episode for United. It's unbalanced. Scott McTominay doesn't have what it takes to be a midfielder at the level that United need him. He's good, but he's only good. And when you have world-class players in that midfield, you can't just get by with good defensively because Paul Pogba has shown that he is a little bit of a liability defensively. And in United's previous game, he did chip in a bit, but long-term, I can't see that being something that maintains and something that goes forwards. And Bruno Fernandes is another guy that, doesn't chip in defensively. He's a floater. He's a guy who looks for the ball to come to him and then does something incredible. And how many of those players can you really have in your squad where you're, they're not contributing defensively to the effect that you need to in the modern game nowadays, a guy who only looks to progress the ball. That's good for one or two players, but at the end of the day, you need a squad that can convert forward to backwards, especially when you're paying these guys the money that they're paying them. Yeah, I'll always defend Scott Scott McTominay, but I I wouldn't say he's world-class. I think he is a Premier League-capable midfielder, but for this United squad who's pushing for Europe, they need more than a Premier League-capable midfielder in that particular role because with Pogba, I love Pogba, but when he's forced into a role that he doesn't like, I've never seen a player who whose offensive game shuts down so much when he's asked to do more defensively. It's like when he when he does more defensively, he's all of a sudden he's walking around the pitch. He where he gets knocked down, he takes half an hour to get back up. It's 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 almost like he's throwing a mini temper tantrum when he's asked to do more defensive work. But when he is put into the position he likes with an Ndidi behind him, with a Conte behind him, with France, with with a ball winning midfielder who's just there to do defensive work, he turns into the superstar we bought from Juventus. Um, so hopefully hopefully that's that's a United target uh, next summer. Moving on to Spurs at Wolves, though. We have the return of Nuno Espirito Santos at Wolves. It's going to be in Wolverhampton. It's going to be, I think, a really good game. But what are some of your thoughts on it, guys? I was really impressed with Spurs against Man City, the first game. I do think that ultimately, this is just my opinion, I feel they will be a better team without Harry Kane. I think Son is at a level where, and he showed that he could be that man and he loves loves Spurs so much. So he could be that man for Nuno that Kane was for them and Kane moved forward and money is reinvested in the squad. Victor, um, Victor, come on. <laughs> Harry Kane is is a top three striker in the world. Yeah, but- You can't you tell me that forward. this Spurs squad is better without him. They they could be better without him if the money they get from Kane is reinvested in the other parts of the team that are needed because what, what Kane brings to the team is goals. Son could do that. He could do that at a high level. He's shown that seasons after season after season. Tottenham's 49% of their goals is between Kane and Son. So the same way Kane is as important goal scoring wise, I feel Son is as well. And with all this going around, I don't think it's good for this team that the news about Kane being unsettled wants to go to City. I think it's better off if he just moves on. They get the money, reinvest it in the squad, get positions that they actually need other than a striker, which 
obviously you're going to miss the quality of Harry Kane. Like you said, he's a top three strikers in the world. We can't, we can't knock that. But I think for a better, more balanced Spurs team and actually compete more effectively, because they've had Kane for how many seasons? Scored 200 plus goals, no trophies. That's literally like, what's, what's, the, what's the gain in that? It, it's, it makes more sense. And, and career-wise for Harry Kane to move on, Spurs get a good amount of money reinvesting the squad and act, actually be more competitive. But Victor, there's 12 days left in the window. So let's say that Spurs get 100, 110 million dollars okay. for 10 million euros for oh, Harry has Kane. Has to be more than that. Has to be more than that to get a Kane. Every person they buy, the price just went up 20% because they're the fat cow with money they need to that they need to spend. That is true. Harry Kane proved last season that he can be much more than just a goal scorer. The amount of assists he did, he contributed, the amount of buildup play he contributed in. Spurs were great at Manchester City, I'll give you that. They can't sustain that over the over the entire season. They don't have the quality. They don't have a recognizable striker. I, Son is not a striker. He's he's an inside forward, but he's not a striker. And going forward with Bergvine and Lucas Mora who are was both amazing. Who are both yeah. good players, yeah. but are they world-class players? Are they players that will carry Spurs back to where they believe they should be? I don't think so. Where do they think they should be? That's the real question. Because if what's the expectation for Spurs? Because they're not going to win the league. It should not be Europa Conference League. It should that... be four or five at the minimum. And, you know, a team we're going to get on a little bit later. Leicester, I'm more convinced by them. This Spurs squad, the Spurs squad is in transition. I don't like their midfield. I think that their defense is suspect. Yeah. Nuno's a good manager, but without a player like Harry Kane putting all that responsibility on human son, who's not young, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm not convinced by this Spurs team. And that's not just me being biased, especially with the story hanging over because I don't see them selling Kane before the end of the window. I'm sure he will come back in and play some football, but I'm not convinced. This this squad looks unsettled. What do you not like about the midfield, though? Because I'd argue their midfield depth is one of the best in the league. Because because you have guys like like Lasalso, Hoiberg, Ndombele, Deli and Lee when he's on when he's in form. So that's a bit of a bit more of a question mark. But like Oliver Skip really impressed on loan last season at Norwich. Oliver Skip played very well against City as well. I yeah. I I agree. I just there doesn't seem to be that player who can put the game on his back from the midfield and link play like that. I'm just not convinced. All right. Well, with Harry Kane specifically, because we've talked a lot about him, he's he did not travel with the team to the Europe League, uh, to, not not even Europe League, to the Europa Conference League game, whatever they're calling it, uh, during uh, midweek in Portugal. We don't know if he's going to be starting this weekend, but... Considering that Nuno's comments last weekend was he's not match fit yet, he's we're, we're bringing him back. It's going to be a process to you know get him into the first team again. Can we expect to see him this weekend, or is it just going to be him off to the sidelines until the end of the month to see whether or not he gets sold? I think for for Kane the. Um, I, I do believe Nuno. I think Nuno is an honest guy. I think he's shown that he's not the manager that if anything is going on, he would like communicate it better to the to the fans that there was actually a problem. I do I do believe him that Kane is not fit. 
would we see him this weekend? There's a possibility. I don't think he'll be rushed, like like you said. I think the the things with the transfer and on the settlement with the squad, I think that's probably sorted is between now and Daniel Levy and Man City for the negotiations. So I think if a bid comes in for Kane, I think he would probably leave. But if not, I think he's fine continuing with Spurs and training. So with that, I do think if he's available to play, he would play. And if he doesn't show up for the team or, or he's not selected, I, I would be led to believe from the manager that he's not fit yet or... Because England did go deep in the Euro, so it does make sense. Well, Victor, like you say that, but, you know, Leeds didn't have Phillips, obviously, for the first game. But West yeah. Ham had West Ham had Rice. Yeah, boys. City, City had Sterling. And I don't know if you saw the news that uh, Kane apparently had a conversation with Fabio Patrici, the, the director of football at, at Spurs, where they had a 10-minute conversation. And basically, the only thing Kane said was, I want to leave. Rumors, rumors, but you know, I don't know how you can say that you believe that Harry Kane is unfit while all of this stuff is going on in the background. Kane said that he doesn't want to play. Kane didn't show up for training. I'm, I'm let. To... What, what good does it do for for Spurs to to to, to to tell the truth that you know Kane is Kane is saying he's not going to play because that, that which would is be... which is the evidence that we're seeing. That's what we see. We're seeing. We, I, the thing is, it's easy to go with that narrative and to believe that 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 would be what would make sense to some people. I can see why you see that, but at the same time, this is a player who many call a saint. He wouldn't just throw anything, or wouldn't just throw a tantrum, or he's been at Spurs for this long, and this is a character that you wouldn't really associate with Harry Kane. So. I'm led to believe from the manager because, like I said, I do believe Nuno is an honest guy. I do believe that irrespective of whatever is going on, Harry Kane will always train because ultimately he's a professional. Whether or not he's fit, that's what the manager said, fit or not, I'm led to believe that. However, all the narrative has been going on, all rumors, until Harry Kane comes up and says that he wants to leave. All this is all rumors. As far as I'm concerned, I'm led to just be on the side of just keeping it peace until I see every card, not hearing rumors coming out of East, West, North, and South. And just like I said, this this rumors can be good for Spurs fans. I can't I can't I can't imagine what their fan base will be looking like these days, hearing all these things with all the different narratives coming out. But like I said, I'll always trust the manager for now until we're led to believe otherwise. And just quick on Wolves. We're, I'm really curious of which formation they run uh, going into this game because Bruno Lago's first game, he played uh, three at the back. Very, If you're a Wolves fan, you've been seeing that formation for the past three, four seasons. But his experience in Benfica has told me that he loves to play a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, something that is a far more attacking with, with uh, fullbacks bombing up the pitch. Just a very attacking formation. But against the Spurs team who performed very well against City, I really want to know, what, what do you guys think? Is Are we going to be seeing a four at the back system or a three at the back system? I think we'll see three at the back against Spurs this weekend. But long term, the answer is four at the back. Bruno Lage has said that he doesn't believe he has the squad to play to play four at the back currently. He doesn't have the midfield depth and I don't disagree with him. 
especially with the number of injuries. Daniel Padons is out, Pedro Neto is out, and big blow um, that just broke recently that Pedro Neto will be out until at least February. He fractured his kneecap against Fulham in April last season. Long term, the answer is four at the back right now. I think, though, that Bruno Lage has to get by with what he can at Wolves, and that's three at the back. It's still not entirely his squad and still needs some some working over. Yeah, I do. I do agree. I think probably for the Spurs game, I think it's probably going to be a back three four. Like like he said, it's way forward, hundred percent. And I think it would, it would be it would be better for them to continue the four with the kind of talent that they have when fit. And unfortunately for Neto with the injury, he's a fantastic player and he would make that team better. But yeah, four is the way forward for the Spurs game this weekend. We're going to see it through. And now let's move on to our game of the week now at halftime. And this week, the game we're going to be playing is higher or lower. Declan and Victor are going to be working together as a team to get as many correct answers as possible. And the stats we're going to be focusing on this week is total goals scored in the Premier League. Our starting player is going to be Romelu Lukaku, who has 113 goals. And guys, round one, Marcos Alonso. How many has he scored more goals than Lukaku in the Prem or lower? It's got to be lower. It's got to be lower. <laughs> yeah, Are we in agreement here, Victor? It's lower? Yeah. yeah. Lower. Locking in lower? Locking and the in. the answer in. is 23. So you're right. Oh, that's... That was that was close, man. I, I was really worried. <laughs> Marcus Alonso has a fantastic left foot. <laughs> he does, he does. He scored a great goal last weekend too. Who's gonna say? But does Marcus Alonso have more or less goals than the next person? Christian Benteke. Christian Benteke has like eight goals, so maybe not, but I'm 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 leaning higher. I'm leaning higher. Wait, does he you mean in his whole in Prem, his whole career. In Prem? He just, he just Premier League goals. So Belgium Premier League goals. Okay, so just Aston Villa, Liverpool, and now Crystal Palace. Yeah, he definitely has more. I, I, I agree. Lock in more. And you'll be correct. He has 82 goals. Yeah. And next up, we have the robot. Peter Crouch. Does he have more or less goals than Christian Benteke? More. Say more. more. It's got to be more. Yeah, he has to be more. more. More than 82. 82 is a high number. 82 is a high number, but Peter Crouch played for quite some time and only in the Prem. He did. And the answer is Peter Crouch has 105 goals. Bang him in for a couple decades. Yeah, he's in the 100 club. Easy. (laughs) Now, this one's going to be a little bit more difficult. Does Peter Crouch have more or less goals than Paul Skulls? Skullsy more I, i'm trusting my teammate here Easy. i think it's more who has more? more peter crouch th- peter crouch, peter crouch has more 100 i'm sorry thanks for playing oh. <laughs> 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 paul scores paul scores has 107 goals compared to peter crouch's 105 so oh, very close really yeah that's oh that is that's really painful. Yep. So the wow. record the record currently sits at four. Yes. Oh, are we going that's, based that's a, off of the, the the round that you died on or the round that you've got up to? As or many correct what's... answers. As many correct answers. Did we only get three? Three correct answers? Three or four? Uh, I mean, I, ga- I gave you guys a Kaku, so... <laughs> uh, Alonzo Benteke. Kaku's one. 
Lukaku's won, so four. four I, said that, I said the number. I said Romelu Lukaku <laughs> has 113 goals. Does Marcus Alonso have more or less? <laughs> don't, don't try to inflate your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on to the second half, where we're going to be talking about, first of all, the Leicester at West Ham game. And I'm, I know I'm pretty excited to see it, but I know Declan is even more excited to see this matchup. So, Declan, how do you think your Hammers are going to do this weekend? I think they're going to come out victorious. West Ham and Leicester City are two teams that seem to match up pretty damn well against each other. I think teams that play relatively similar styles, though obviously Leicester a little bit more attacking than West Ham. But West Ham seemed to have their number. Last season, they did the double on on Leicester, including a 3-0 drubbing. I am confident that West Ham can go out there. And you saw the game they played in the second half, particularly against Newcastle. David Moyes showed that he can be flexible tactically to adjust uh, to the game in the midfield, allow Declan Rice to play a little bit more of a higher aggressing style, which I think will be key against this Leicester City squad. Obviously, there's the threat of Jamie Vardy. But I think that if West Ham show up and play their game on the day, that they have the needed quality and the specific attributes to beat this Leicester City squad. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I agree. This is two teams that are evenly matched in almost every area, in my opinion. I feel Leicester and West Ham are those two teams that are pushing forward to break into the top four, top five kind of um, teams, and it's going to be difficult to call because both teams, I just, for West Ham, I love Ben Aramo. I do think he's going to be a revelation this season. He's a fantastic player. You saw uh, how he played in that first game. Yeah, he, he was amazing. The link that he has be- between oh, himself go. and Antonio, it's beautiful. it looks like it's going to be that very similar link that Paye had with um, Manuel Lanzini in 2015-16, and what, a, what another magical season that would be. Yeah, I almost uh, think that West that West Ham should just leave Jesse Lingard alone and stick with Ben Rama because I agree. This guy, this guy's revel- this guy is showing all the qualities he had again in his season with mm, Brentford. With Brentford, yeah, hundred percent. And I, 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 I must confess, I did like I wanted Ben Rama at Chelsea when we're looking for Hakim Ziyech. I do remember the time he was still at Brentford. Fantastic player. I do think he's going to be a revelation in that team. And also Mikel Antonio. I do think now. He's broken or he's untied with Paul DeCanio's record as a top scorer for West Ham. I think that's going to be an extra motivation for him to keep going. I do think he's going to be a better player this season. His technical ability is very, very underrated. Antonio is a fantastic, fantastic ball player as well, too. And I do think that with Declan Rice and Thomas Susek, who never stop scoring. So this, this is going to be another season like last as well. If Moyes can keep the defense solid and packed as well. I do think West Ham will f- finish high up in the season. And for the game against f- with Leicester, I do think it's going to be a very tight game. Difficult to call with the Leicester's quality. I think they're on a high from the FA Cup and the Community Shield against City. If, even though we say that's a glorified friendly, that will give them a bit more confidence to go into the season. I do think they're a more confident team now that they have two trophies kind of in the bag. So that's going to play a part. But, but yeah, that's going to be a very good game. Victor must have listened to our preview episode. He is just, he's just <laughs> trumping our horn about, about West Ham. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Mikel Antonio, as you said, one goal away from the great Paolo Di Canio. Say what you will about him as a person. He was one of the best strikers I've seen in my entire life. Yeah. 
guy, the guy, the guy loved the world. Dean McAllentonio, though, you mentioned his technical ability. Yeah, I, I do he think he's underrated. Both, he is both the most technical and the least technical player in the league. I think that you I saw see why that. You say that yeah. I, I, I think we saw that this weekend on the penalty where the cross yeah. comes in from Bowen and <laughs> Antonio just kind of throws his body at it. It goes against the post and it seems like everything went West Ham's way uh, this weekend. But <laughs> I think that Mikel Antonio has been a revelation. He's the only striker at the club and he's not even really a striker. David Moyes has been able to change tall, lanky wingers into incredible strikers this uh, ever since he joined West Ham. He did it first with Marco Anoutovic and okay. now with Antonio, who, as you mentioned, Victor, one goal away. And I think that he'll get it yeah. from being West Ham's all-time lead goal scorer in the Prem. Yeah, if you could say one thing about West Ham, well, one thing you can say is they're not boring. Watching a West Ham game, whether you're a fan of them, whether you dislike them, whether you're a neutral, it's going to be a fun game because either it's just going to be a complete tire fire like the first half of that Newcastle-West Ham game, or West Ham are just going to be all of a sudden have a massive heat check and score like two two goals in like 10 minutes, like what they did in the second half. It's... It's actually fun watching West Ham, which is something I have not been able to say in a long time, but it is. It's just a fun attacking team to watch. They did. They were going in for Milinkovic. Is that how you say his name? Declan? Milinkovic. Yeah, Milinkovic. Milinkovic. They were going in for him. They were going in for him. It looks like those talks are broken down now. Can you see West Ham bringing in another center back to replace him? They're apparently in advanced talks with Kurt Zuma for a $25 million deal, though I refuse to get excited about that. <laughs> I'm waiting for a here we go. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I imagine that they will do some business. It'll be some late business. You know, I really wouldn't be surprised if they brought in Jesse Lingard, though. I think that that would be a huge mistake. I think this squad has the quality it needs. It just needs some depth. Mm-hmm. Especially bringing in Lingard although you wouldn't be a big fan of it, it would at least be added depth to the squad, allowing Ben Rama to hopefully continue getting the majority of the minutes, but having another body there definitely wouldn't wouldn't hurt if you were Ham. I was also stunned by seeing that Mikel Antonio is one goal away from the West Ham all-time goal-scoring record. I like How long has he been at the club, Declan? He, like, signed, me, for, he signed from Knott's Forest in 2014. Because I, I thought he was like, I don't know, played the four or five seasons, but I never knew he like racked up the goals like that to be considered all time goal scorer. Like, what's the, do you know what the record is for all time goal scoring? Um, how many goals is he at? About like 40 like something. It's 49. 47. Yeah. Mikel Antonio has 47 goals. Yeah. That's the record? The yeah. record is, I think, is, yeah, 47. 47. Oh, wow. West Ham, have, West Ham have never had a striker ever. I was gonna say that seems like a very gettable like Ever. tally. <laughs> Ever, <laughs> yeah. Mikel Antonio signed for West Ham in that immaculate transfer window that we had between 2015-2016, where we brought in Dimitri Payet, Mikel Antonio, uh, Kuyate, uh Obiang, yeah. and and Manuel Lanzini. I really like a few names of that list, particularly uh, Lanzini. I I'm st- I, s- I still have like a spot on Lanzini Island. Like I still think he's going to be a really good, <laughs> really good player if he stays fit. But going back to I guess West Ham's backline, do you expect them to do well enough against Vardy, or where do you, how do you think Vardy's going to perform against them? 
it really scares me, man. It really does. I think that this is a game for um, Issa Diop rather than Craig Dawson, who is not good. He's not good. <laughs> He's just not good. I think that the pace will cause them problems for sure. Angelo Ogbonna looked very slow in the game against Newcastle. And it's the op, not the fastest, but a guy who can cover some ground, a good man marker as well. So I think that that would call, call for him. But the Fox's pace is really the problem here. And I think that that's the story of this game. It's which forward can burn the defense faster. Mm-hmm. And now let's move on to Chelsea versus Arsenal, the Northwest London derby. And Victor, do you think we could possibly see a Lukaku debut? Uh, yeah, I think that's. That's definitely possible, like he said in his interview. So, yeah, um, I do think Lukaku is going to start this week um, from his um, interviews and the training session. He just started training on Tuesday. I do think he's going to be fit. Um, And I think it's a case of already we want to already put him from the signs of what Tuko was saying from this press conferences as well is just going to slot him straight into the team because we do need goals. That was um, an area of of our game that... We, I do feel that Lukaku is a player that we have lacked for years. I think since we lost Diego Costa, we haven't had a striker, and it's shown for like for our goals and all the seasons till now. And I do think he's been the perfect time for him to come back to England. Um, and I do think, yeah, this Sunday we can see him in the lineup against Arsenal. Well, I'm definitely hoping so because I have him in my fantasy squad this week. Debating about captaining him, but I, I don't know yet. I'm Vice been, captain. Yeah, I've been burned before with that. <laughs> <laughs> but another signing that Chelsea were linked with, and honestly, I don't know if they're still linked with or not, but Jules Kunde. Do you yeah. even need him anymore after that Trevor Chalabar performance last weekend? Because he, he performed really well, especially against Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, and He shut him down. Uh, Lacobam strikes again the best academy in the world in my opinion I don't I don't care what anyone says we produce the best A-class top talent in the world and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't lie I've always known I've always I'm always a fan that follows our academy from from the days of um, Loftus-Cheek back in the day so I've always followed these boys growing up so I've kind of had an idea of their ability I was pleasantly surprised how much quality he had on the ball because for you to break into a Thomas Tuchel team knowing his work ethic and how he drills the players and how it's difficult to get out of the pecking order once you're you're just coming in for him to make it to the team and stay there and actually earn his place in the team I was really impressed he's actually what we didn't know that we needed and we have it for free in our from our academy and it will be futile completely and makes no financial decision to go for Jules Kunde right now at this point because they're on a similar age. He's 22 as well. He's free. His quality is there. He, is, he played in the Premier League, played in the Super Cup. His debut games put, put out man-of-the-match performances in both of them. Deserved it, but finally got it, got it in the Premier League. And like you said, locked down a top Premier League attacker in Wilfred Zaha. He didn't have a sniff in the whole game. People... people said that Crystal Palace played bad, but I do I do think that Chelsea limited them enough to the point that they couldn't do anything because I don't know how many touches Zaha had the whole game, but that's the quality for, that we can get from our academy. And with that kind of academy, I don't think we should spend 60-odd million on Joe Skunde, who I do think is a fantastic player, but I do think that we need that money else in other parts of the field. 
I totally agree. And it gives, and it gives the youth players, the player to look up to. Obviously there's a couple other names in that squad, namely Mason Mount, but Trevor Chalaba looks class. And that finish was something else that, that was, that was a beautiful goal. The fade, the technique, it was, it was absolutely, and I can't imagine how he must've felt score, scoring that in a packed Stanford bridge first game of the season, Chelsea boys, he could remember it, it must've been a golden moment and things like that. Like most pundits were saying, you can't buy that kind of feeling. It's something that you just kind of like just happens to very few players. And I'm really happy for for him. And I hope that he can actually kick on from then. And then like cement his place in the team because the more Chelsea Academy players in the first team, the happier I am. Yeah, that was that was proper. Chelsea have snuck into being real title contenders, though, I think, especially with Lukaku. They finally have a guy who can put some put some balls away. And I think that we'll see Lukaku and Werner being a being a strike partnership at some point. And I am very much here for that. It is very reminiscent of what you saw at Inter Milan last year, where Timo Werner, not the same as Lautaro Martinez, but not all that dissimilar, mm-hmm. a player who can come in and feed off of uh, Romelu Lukaku's flick-ons, headed balls, and Werner can't be as unlucky as he was last season. So I think that going forward, this Chelsea squad has a lot of options, and they're quite scary. I wouldn't be surprised if they put a real challenge in here. Yeah, I, I 100% expect us to put a, a title challenge where we keep, I keep, we keep, well, most fans keep forgetting about Hakim Ziyech. I do think he is another quality, quality player. He didn't have the best of first seasons in the Prem, which most people fail to understand coming from a different league. He had injury, no preseason, trying to get into the Premier League, things like that affect you. And before his injury, he was actually fantastic. He, his returns for assist and goals in that period was absolutely the period before f- where Frank had his best form before he got sacked in December. It was literally amazing. Then he got the injury and his lev- levels, as you would expect in the league, as intense as the Premier League, he couldn't quite match up. And from preseason, we would see he was our best player by a long shot. Gone, luckily injured in the Super Cup after scoring a fantastic goal. That just showed how much form that he was in. I do think he's another player to come into this team and actually cement his place in the first team. I do think he's going to be eventually a first-team starter because I do think he's that much good and he's going to show a lot of people that he's a quality player. And I do think on his day, he's one of the best players in the Premier League, hands down. I like Ziyech too, but it's a question of how much game time he's going to get because there's a ton of wing talent at Chelsea with like Hudson Odoi, Pulisic as well. Um, Havertz can play on the wing, Mount can play on the wing. They just have so much talent in that, in and around that area. I really question how much game time he's actually going to be given, but he impressed this preseason too. So maybe, maybe that he can work his way into the first team more and more. Yeah. Um, but along along your point of Timo Werner playing as that second striker um, in that Latam Martinez role, I really think Havertz can play in that exact same role and be more of a creative player in that role as opposed to Werner's goal scoring um, role that that he that he usually uh, usually has. But either way, both of those options, I am perfectly fine with playing alongside Lukaku. Yeah, that's completely the beauty of having someone, a striker like Lukaku. Lukaku isn't only a goal scorer, he's also a team player. He makes the people around him play better. People have been saying that he gave Latour Martinez a career. I don't agree. I do I think I do think Latour is, is a fantastic player as well. But 
no doubt Lukaku's presence in the team gives players of that skill set, of that ability to go in behind. Someone like Kai Havertz, who is an excellent, he called him the German ghost. He just goes past people and just, and he has the pace and the technique to finish. So I do think with Lukaku in the team, the options, the shapes, the the patterns, how it's going to look in the front three, front two, whatever it would be like, him or Kai, him or Timo, whoever he plays, I do think is still going to be equally as as effective. And another thing is also Callum hudson Adoy, another player who I do feel is going to have another great season as well too this year. I do think if he can work his way up as an attacker and not a left-right wing-back, which seems for right now Tuchel thinks he's a right wing back which I don't think I do think I, I do think he plays his best football out on the left wing and I do think that Tuchel is going to realize that sooner within the season that he's probably the a better left winger for creating of all those chances from the left hand side as compared to Pulisic or if he wants to go more direct with Timo and I do think Callum is going to have a great season especially now that I think I think Lukaku coming to the team is going to elevate a lot of the players reese james never his assist his his ball specialty is fantastic for a player of quality on a, on, a, on a ball his crosses to not have as many assists as he should have as a counterpart like Trent alexander arnold for instance that plays in liverpool that every cross he in the box is a goal from Salah or Firmino or Mane. His, his conversion rate is going up so reese james is going to have more assists this season i do think also in the left wing back spot, you have Ben Chill versus Marcos Alonso. That's going to be an interesting battle throughout the whole season. Who gets the first team spot? Because for me, I don't, I don't know who I'm going to pick. Because Alonso looks like a man possessed. We're talking about him and with how many goals? I think he's the highest goal scoring defender in the last five Premier League seasons, which is an asset in the team. And you know how well he plays as a wing back. So. I do think there's so much more to come from Chelsea and with Lukaku in the team. I do think we've finally gone over that level that we've always been for the last years of no goals in the team to now challenging and I do think we're going to put a very decent title match this season. And moving on to Arsenal a little bit, they had a very busy week this week, uh, this week signing Martin Odegaard for £30 million, as well as Aaron Ramsdale for £24 million with an extra £6 million in add-ons when he becomes a starter for Arsenal. And Ramsdale, I'm, I, I assume that they're probably going to be sticking with Leno and Ned for the time being. But with Odegaard, bringing him in, he had a rocky-ish uh, loan spell with Arsenal last season. It, it took him a tiny bit to get going, but in moments, he really showed his class in the Premier League. And signing him for £30 million, I thought was a pretty big bargain signing. Declan, do you have any thoughts on the Odegaard signing or Ramsdale? I think I think you're right about Ramsdale. I think he's a better signing than a lot of people think he will be. He's the natural successor to Burn Leno, who I imagine will leave by the end of the year, maybe in January. And Ramsdale comes in and takes his slot. It's a hefty price tag, though. I think the 24 up that could equal 30 is pretty pretty substantial for a goalie who just was relegated. Though I the relegation to the championship with Sheffield wasn't his fault. He's just not the type of goalie that I think Arsenal long-term will will need. He's a cover by, I think. Not a player who's necessarily good with his feet, though is handy when it comes to saving the ball. And I guess that's what's most important with goaltending. But in terms of Odegaard, I think it's interesting. It provides a different option, some more creativity to 
Arsenal's offense and a player who they can put in, depend on a little bit more and push Emil Smith Rowe, maybe a little bit out of position, move him on the wing where he really impressed last season. And now let's move on to stoppage time where we're going to be going through all the games and predicting which team is going to win or whether it's going to be a draw for every single game this weekend. We have 30 seconds to do so. And Declan, you are first. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Three, two, one. Burnley at Liverpool. Liverpool. Newcastle at Aston Villa. Villa. Brentford at Crystal Palace. Brentford. Everton at Leeds United. The Toffees. Norwich at Manchester City. City. Watford at Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton. Manchester United at Southampton. United. Spurs at Wolves. Draw. Chelsea at Arsenal. Chelsea. C- uh, Leicester City at West Ham. The Hammers. Oi, oi. I'll, I'll let you pass. It's 32 seconds, but I screwed up a little bit on the pronunciation of the last one, so I'll let that one slide. It's really tight. 30 seconds is, is mm-hmm. a lot to predict 10 games in. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. And Victor, you ready? Yep. So starting from the top, three, two, one. Burnley at Liverpool. Liverpool. Newcastle United at Aston Villa. Draw. Brentford at Crystal Palace. Palace. Everton at Leeds United. Everton. North City at Manchester City. Man City. Watford at Brighton. Watford. Manchester United at Southampton. Draw. Spurs at Wolves. Spurs. Chelsea at Arsenal. Chelsea. Leicester City at West Ham. Draw. 28 seconds. I think the 30 second, like that's like the perfect amount of time for all these. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and John, are you ready? Yes, I am. Liverpool, Burnley. Liverpool. Villa, Newcastle. Villa. Palace, Brentford. Brentford. Leeds, Everton. Draw. City, Norwich. City. Brighton, Wolves. Oh, Brighton, Brighton, Watford. Draw. Southampton, United. United. Wolves, Spurs. Oh, I'm tempted to go Spurs, but draw. Arsenal, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea. West Ham, Leicester. Quickly. Leicester. Uh, Leicester. 31 seconds. 31. Oh, just because I screwed up at the end there. Oh, well. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show this week, Victor. Would you like to take a moment and let the listeners know where to find you? Yeah. Um, if you can follow me on Instagram at Vic Graham. That would be V-I-C-C-G-R-A-A-M. They're all together. Vic Graham. Thank you. And Declan, where can the listeners find you? You can find me at on Twitter at debarp14, um, I post my writing and uh, whatever I'm, whatever else I'm getting up to on there. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at John Townsend ninety nine. And thanks, and that's gonna do it for this show. Keep an eye on the Mastermind podcast feed for the Mastermind review show after this weekend's games, as well as a whole bunch of other great podcasts. If you enjoy listening to the show, make sure to give us a five star rating as it really helps grow the show. And thank you for listening. <laughs>